Well, I wonder if you would turn in your Bibles to that reading we have from Judges, Judges chapter 18. Now, the book of Judges is quite a shocking book. The situation in the period of the Judges was one of apostasy. The people continually departing from God. And really, it's a book which records how Israel became Canaanized. They became like the Canaanites. Rather than subduing the Canaanites, the Canaanites really subdued them because they took up their idolatry and their evil ways. Psalm 106 gives a good summary of this period. It says in verse 34, They did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. But though Israel was unfaithful, God was faithful, and he continually acted to chasten and to bring his people back, to restore them. And he sent saviors to deliver them, saviors or judges. And yet we see such depravity amongst those who were meant to be the people of God. And this chapter we read, it illustrates it. There's such a mixture Such a terrible mixture. People claiming to want the Lord's guidance, seeming to want to worship God, and yet mixing it up with idolatry. And even the priest is happy to use the idols that have been made. They were nominal in their worship. They professed with their mouths to serve God, and yet their hearts were far from him. They had no real love for God, no real obedience to him. I wonder, are you nominal in your worship of God? You profess to love God with your lips, and yet your life doesn't really show it. But what I want us to do today is not so much concentrate on the main thrust of the passage, which is Micah's idolatry with the Danites, but I want to look at the people that are mentioned in some ways just in passing in this chapter. We find them in verses 7 to 10. All scripture is given for a reason. And though these verses don't form the main thrust, yet they're recorded to give us an insight into how men and women lived and thought then, and how men and women live and think today. As we look at this people that we have mentioned here in Judges 18, our title is this, What is True Life? What is True Life? These descendants of the tribe of Dan, they're looking for some land, they're looking for an area to settle in. And they send out five men to search for a place. And they happen to come to a place called Laish. And there they see these peoples with the habits and the customs of the Sidonians. What is it that we learn about these people that they observed? What do we learn about them who followed the habits and customs of the Sidonians? Well, they see, the spies see a people who firstly lived a secure life. They lived a secure life. Verse 7. So the five men departed and went to Laish. They saw the people who were there, how they dwelt safely in the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. This people, they enjoyed great security. Safety, peace. 
Where they were located seemed to be rather remote, rather out of the way, and so it was a place they could live without real worry about invasion or threat. They could just get on with life, just get on with life without worry. They had all they wanted, and they could live this almost idyllic life. They lived in the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. It almost conjures up the idea of a man going out in the morning, and he, it's a lovely day, and he goes out to feed his cattle and his flocks. He sees the sun and the lovely valley there that they lived in, a bit like where we were yesterday or today, Nance Gollin, I think it was, lovely view out the window, you almost see the sea, lovely place. And it's an idyllic life that these people had here in Judges 18, quiet and secure, safe, and uh, that's what people want today, don't they? Many people want today, they just want a quiet life, a secure life, a nice life. You get programmes where people want to relocate to the countryside. Relocation is the sort of big thing. They're looking for the perfect location. If they can find some spot, a quaint village, a nice junior school, place to walk the dog. Uh, my barber, they've, they've gone now, but they sold their business to move up to the Scottish Isles. And she said, oh, it's going to be wonderful. There's only 500 people on the island. There's one ferry a day. And it's going to be like paradise, she said. An idyllic life, quiet and secure, free from the hustle and bustle. It's what they're seeking. Uh, this security, this peace. And yet, really, it's a godless security. It's a security not founded in God. So they lived securely, these people. But also, secondly, we see they lived a life without authority. They lived a life without authority. Uh, we read, so the five men departed and went to Laish. They saw the people who were there, how they dwelt safely in the manner of Sidonians, quiet and secure. There were no rulers in the land who might put them to shame for anything. There were no rulers in the land. They seemed to have reveled in the fact, you know, there was no one who could tell them what to do. No one who could rule over them. They were their own masters. And then we see this increasingly today, don't we? People can be very resentful of authority, and especially the authority of God in their lives. They get very angry if you suggest there is a God, and that God has given his commandments to show us the way we should live. They say, I don't need to listen to that. I can do what I like. I can do what I please, so long as nobody gets hurt, and I don't harm anyone else. And we know politicians give way to this, don't they? They think, well, we're not going to tell people how to live their lives. Oh, no. As if morality only extends as far as the front door. And it's a crime to suggest there are laws we should all adhere to, even in our own lives. When I was a teacher, uh, I started to notice that uh, you started to get kids saying things like, I know my rights. I know my rights. Quite startling when kids started to talk in this way. When I was a kid at school, you didn't say boo to a goose. But now it seemed that, just before I left teaching, which was a little while ago, so much more, you know, I know my rights. All forms of authority are increasingly questioned. And we can make up our lives and our laws as we wish, so long as it seems to be for the greater good and it keeps everyone happy. You have your way, I have mine. I'm not going to tell you how to live. 
I don't expect you to tell me how to live either. I don't expect even God to tell me how to live. So they live without authority. But also, thirdly, we see they lived an independent life, an independent life. It says, towards the end of verse 7, they were far from the Sidonians and they had no ties with anyone. They had no ties. Seemed they'd moved away from the main group of Sidonians and they just wanted to be on their own, wanted to get away. No obligations. They still copied the manner and customs of the Sidonians, but they didn't seek support from anyone. And they felt they had no need to help anyone else. They were just very much on their own. It's almost a commune type of life, cut off from the outside world. In many ways, it's rather a selfish life. They didn't need to worry about anyone else but themselves. Just concerned with looking after number one. Again, it's something we find in human nature, isn't it? We find it very much in our society. It very much panders to the cult of number one. Look after yourself, first and foremost. Of all things to be considered, number one should always take the priority. Why? Because you're worth it. This is the sort of attitude that we have, don't we? But also, fourthly, we see it was a happy and a prosperous life. A happy and a prosperous life. We see that report in verse 9. They say that uh, it's very good. It's a very good land. They say, verse 10, they say you'll see a large land, a place where there is no lack, no lack of anything on the earth. What a place to live. They had everything they could wish for. There was no lack. Seems to have been abundance of food, abundance of flocks. Even the materials, perhaps no doubt the metals that were needed. Perhaps they had skilled craftsmen, craftsmen who could make wonderful jewellery, women who could weave beautiful materials. There was no lack of anything that is on the earth. There would have been sunshine. There would have been pleasure. There would have been feasts and foods. Music and joy. Again, much of our modern life revolves around this, doesn't it? Advertising focuses on man's continual need to strive after happiness and prosperity. This is best. You need this if you're really going to have a good life. If you don't have this, your life is impoverished. Your life's a bit below par. You've got to have the latest Amazing, with all the wealth that we have as a well-developed country, we still find men and women are so often unhappy and still having to seek after the next thing and the next thing. Endless striving, like trying to quench your thirst with salt water. These men and women really had here what many have sought to seek after down through the centuries. We find throughout history men and women striving to seek after and produce a paradise for themselves. Genesis chapter 4, we see Cain goes out from the presence of the Lord and yet he seeks to build this very elaborate, very secure, sophisticated society which is marked out by wealth and beauty and contentment. 
Having been put out of Eden, he was striving for another Eden, a godless Eden. Right down through history, we can find that even in the ancient Greeks, Greek writings, Plato's Republic, he wants to produce a paradise of a society. H.G. Wells, a modern utopia in the Victorian era. They wrote, they dreamed, these men, of how we could gain paradise, something like what these people had here, these people had here. This is a great hope, wasn't it, of the social reformers? Done a lot of good, our welfare state. But it was all with the aim of giving a good life without poverty, with education, with health, and with happiness. And it was really the dream of much of the 60s movement, the Woodstock movement, the hippie movement. You know, we can go off in a commune, we can produce a paradise, we can have no authority, no rules, live an independent life. Oh, it'll be wonderful. Really what we've got here in Judges 18 is an Old Testament hippie movement. They're seeking to establish such things. And the politicians continually, don't they? The politicians continually assure us, well, you know, we can give you this. Vote for us. We'll strive to give you better health, better wealth, security, peace, contentment. And, you know, standards of living under us will continue to rise. There are people like this now. There are people like this then. The word of God is timeless. Man does not change. Man's heart does not change. 3,000 years ago, men and women wanting a seeming paradise the paradise without God. Yet really, having seen this life, these Sidonian-like people live, we must realise that really it was, fifthly, a small life. A small life for all that they had. It was a small life. They enjoyed security, they enjoyed peace, happiness, prosperity, without rules, without regulations. And yet, you know, they really missed the true meaning of life. For everything they had, they'd missed the true meaning and what is true life. From what we understand of them, I believe they were related to the Gentiles, the original people in the land. They had no relationship with the true and living God. It's God's world. We are God's creatures. It's God's air that we breathe. It's God's sun that we see. And we're made to know him. We're made to know this God. That's the main purpose of life, is to know this God. They had all these things they were enjoying, these kindnesses of God, his common grace. God is loading them with good things, making the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. And yet they were completely ignorant of God and refused to acknowledge God, refused to seek God, refused to know God. <clears throat> yet God had not left them without testimony. They weren't ignorant of God and of his, his, his existence. They lived in Happy Valley. It was very good. There was no lack of anything. They rejoiced in abundant crops. They loved the sunsets of an evening. Go out and sit on their verandas or whatever they had. Enjoy the sun going down the balmy days. They reveled in the new mown hay, the smell of the grass, the lovely canopy of stars. They saw it up above them in all its glory. 
bread and milk and no doubt honey, the coming of spring. They saw all these things. They all come from God. These things are all from God. What should these things do? In the book of Acts and chapter 17, Paul is there speaking to the... He speaks at Athens. And he says in that chapter, as he speaks to them, he says, God who made the world... And everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. And has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord. In the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. It was God, the living God, who had blessed their days, who had loaded them with so many good things. How should they have responded to this glorious God? Verse 27 of that reading, Acts 17, so that they should seek the Lord. For in him we live and move and have our being. So every day we're being made aware of God's eternal power and his Godhead. Because what may be known of God is manifest in us, for God has shown it to us. Every day God reveals his power and his Godhead to men and women. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse They had everything, this people. And yet, really, they had nothing. They had nothing. Everything to live with and nothing to live for. They were made to know this glorious God who'd given them so many good things, and yet they were never seeking him, never desiring to know him. Maybe you here this morning, you've been given so many good things... God has provided so richly for you, if only you would stand and look and see how things compare for you compared to many others in this world. Above all, he's given you perhaps Christian parents or a Christian influence in your life, and yet you've got no desire to know him. No desire to want God. No wonder he's offended. No wonder God is angered. By your rejection of God, your ignoring of God. Imagine if somebody, imagine if you gave somebody everything. You did something for somebody. You helped them. Perhaps you went out of your way to provide for them of your own expense. To give them help and and comfort and provision. And yet they ignored you. And didn't want to have anything to do with you. You'd be offended, wouldn't you? You'd be upset. Well, so is God. But you see, the tragic thing about these Sidonians is that they lived a small life because the real meaning of life was not known to them. The real meaning of life is to know this God, this glorious God who has made us, who has given us all these great things. But also, you see, very sadly, sixthly, we see it was a short sighted life 
a short-sighted life. No matter how happy, no matter how seemingly secure our lives might be, if it's without God, it's a very short-sighted life. Because you see, it cannot prepare us, that life, for the great challenges the great challenges of life, and even the calamities of life. It cannot really insulate us from them, nor prepare us for them. This state of blessedness there in that valley, Laish, this lovely valley, happy valley, was not going to last. We read in verse 27, so they took the things Micah had made and the priests who had belonged to him and they went to Laish, to a people quiet and secure. They've seen this valley, the Danites, they want it for themselves, 600 men advance, and they struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. There was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon. And they had no ties with anyone. These rogues, these Danites, meant to be the people of God, and yet they seem quite happy to set up a carved image and worship it. They take the land by force. They destroy this people. There was no deliverer for them. There was no saviour. They had no saviour. They had no ties with anyone. The very independence that they craved eventually worked against them. That willful independence, wanting to depend on no one, look to no one, worked against them. They had no one they could look to in time of need. Isn't that a picture of so many today? So many are like those who wanted to live in a happy valley. They want a life they can just enjoy. Prosperity and happiness. Security of a sorts and a peace of sorts. But give no acknowledgement to God. Keep God out of it. Exclude God. Yet really, they're unprepared. They're unprepared for the great tests of life. They've got no hope with regard to eternal things. Eternity. Too low they build who build below the skies. Think of that rich fool in the Gospel of Luke, preoccupied with the here and now, just wealth and a good life, parties, fine clothes, food, oh, the envy. And yet at the height of his prosperity, I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry, just like the people here. And suddenly God says, Fool! Fool! This night your soul is required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? What a tragic life. Came to nothing. When tragedy comes, when death comes, you've got nothing to look to. No real comfort, no real security. And what's more, when death comes, there is no deliverer. There is no saviour. There is no hope. What shall it prosper a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? You can have everything. 
this world can give, the blessings of a thousand happy valleys. And yet in the end, it's utterly worthless. In the end, it will all be gone. It'll all be taken from you and you have no hope. You lose your soul. You have no saviour. So many prove this. They really realise this now. Though they don't really want to face up to it. They, we find out we so many rich and famous eventually tip over into drugs. All their wealth. It's empty. How different is it for the Christian? Here is true life. True life is there for the Christian, found in the Christian. They've come to realise their great need is not more of the things of this life, but their greatest need is to have peace with God. They've come to this wonderful realisation that there is a God who, yes, he's given them so many good things, and yet the goodness of God leads them to repentance. They realise they're a sinner. They realise that they have need of this God to save them. Their greatest need is that he has given them a saviour. He's given them a deliverer. They've come to see their greatest need is to be right with God, to have a true security, a true peace, an eternal peace, an eternal security, and it's found through the one who is the saviour, the Lord Jesus. This God has come into this world. The God who made it all, through whom all things were made, has come into this world in the person of his Son. Such is his desire to know us, to enter our lives. He's come into the world. And he has lived the life I could never live. He's lived that life of perfect obedience. He's died that death which I deserve, which sinners deserve. He's risen victorious over sin. God has shown his approval, his acceptance of that work on behalf of sinners. And God has entered their lives. He's entered their hearts. They now know true life. They know this joy of sins forgiven, of peace with God, of the fellowship of God. Our lives are still not without trouble and trial and difficulty, and yet they know true peace. They know security in the Lord. Their salvation can never be taken from them. Eternity awaits with the Lord, and they have a saviour, a saviour who is with them, a saviour who will keep them, a saviour who will bring them right through into his presence there in glory. God enters their hearts. They now belong to God. They now belong to Christ. Whatever they go through, they can look to this God. They have a God who is their refuge and their strength. He stands with them. And you know what's more? When that day comes, when that ultimate day comes, that ultimate test, they must leave this life. What comfort. What assurance they have. They know where they're going. And the Lord is with them. The God who saved them will never leave them nor forsake them. Even through death, he'll bring them safely through and into his presence in paradise. As we said yesterday, for this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will be our guide even to death. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. My friend, where are you today? Where are you? With regard to these things, are you saved or are you lost? Are you in Christ 
Or are you perishing without God and without hope? Are you a child of God or a child of this world? Following this world. You see, you're one or the other. There's no third category in the word of God. You're either one or the other. Are you like these ones in Happy Valley? You enjoy many good things, many kindnesses from God, Christian parents who've loved you, who've helped you, so much you can give thanks for, and yet you take it all for granted. You really prefer not to acknowledge God. How terrible, isn't it, really, what we're saying to God? When we're like that, I'll have it all. I'll have it all. Yeah, I'll have everything you give me, but I don't want you. I don't want you. Can't you understand this God will be perfectly just to judge you, to punish you, to put you out of his presence with such an attitude as that? What a short-sighted life you're living. You're living without God. You're living without hope. If we don't know Christ Jesus as our Savior, we have hope, no hope in this life and for eternity. We are lost doesn't matter how wonderful, how prosperous, how glorious our life might be in the end. In the end, it'll prove worthless. We have no saviour. We have no hope. We have no peace with God. doesn't matter how, how many millions we might amass. It's worthless. And we'll have all eternity to see how worthless it was. If we don't know the Lord... Do you know this God? My friend, have you understood the gospel? Have you understood your need? Humble yourself. Cry to this God for salvation. Say, Lord, save me. Save me. I'm willing to turn from all this world offers. Turn from that which I know is not pleasing. I'm willing even to stand with Christ, to take the rejection of this world. Yeah, Lord, save me. Lord, give me life. Make me your own. I humble myself. I bow before you, dear God. Save me. May I know Christ as my saviour. May I have that hope which is not in the passing and empty things of this life, but that eternal hope which is found in God and in Christ. But if we're the Lord's this morning, May we never be those who are tempted to return to the happy valley mentality of these Sidonians. We have much to give thanks for, don't we, as the people of God. God is so gracious. God is so good. You see, the world wants all its treasure here. The world wants to have its treasure here. Wants to be able to indulge and make out that it can have everything it desires and yet give no acknowledgement to God or very little. We can start to think our treasure is here. This is where our treasure is found. Our true treasure isn't in the happy valleys of this world, you know. Our true treasure is with Christ and with God. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Will we allow our hearts to be set on the wrong things? Will we start to go after that which the world goes after? Will we ever keep that perspective of how gracious, how kind, how wonderful God has been to us? 
to open our eyes, to show us the vanity of these things, to show us the glories of Christ. There's so much we can rightly enjoy, so much we can give thanks for. God who gives us richly all things to enjoy, but may we not copy the world, may we not start to be like the world and forget where our true treasure lies and start to live and think like these ones here, that what God gives is better than God himself, that what we have in this life is better than the life that we know in Christ. May we be faithful. May we prove all the more that our real treasure is in the Lord. And may we experience all the more the joy of his presence. May we covet Christ above all things. May we go after him. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. May we experience and know that. And may we be those who go after it, go after the Lord. Until that day when we are truly brought into his wondrous presence there in glory. For his name's sake we pray. Amen. Amen.